You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Get into the final full week of the summer. I hate that. I hate the sound of that, but it does mean football is on the way, which is a great thing. Pat O'Keefe with you till 10 o'clock um, here on 98.7. Happy to be back with you um, as we follow along. Well, not really, but the Yankees are playing right now. <laughs> Uh, against the Detroit Tigers in front of a few dozen close family and friends, and it seems that's about all. Mets beginning a three-game series against the Texas Rangers. We've got a lot uh, on the table uh, tonight, uh, a lot of things we want to get to. Obviously, the football is still first and foremost with the state of our baseball teams and our baseball seasons. I mean, let's be honest, and we will talk about Aaron Rodgers and his debut and how he looked and, and, and what the rest of the team is looking like around him. But at this point of the preseason uh, cut day, yes, is tomorrow. Um, Jets kind of got the ball rolling on that. Bam Knight, um, one of the first casualties uh, of terms of notable names that will not be on the Jets' 53-man roster. Uh, the trade for Dalvin Cook, or excuse me, the signing of Dalvin Cook, really, that was a crowded room, and you had five running backs, and you needed four, and unfortunately for Bam Knight, he was the uh, odd man out. So we'll see what other dominoes fall in New York tomorrow. I don't think there's a lot of high drama throughout the NFL. There's always a couple of surprises, a couple of names that could be interesting. You know, historically, though, you get a big name that is a salary cap casualty or whatnot, and it's somebody who wasn't on a lot of people's radar in terms of their job status was in trouble, and they get cut on cutdown day. And it raises a lot of eyebrows, and fans, you know, run to, you know, text each other and, and message each other that this is the guy that their team should go after. And in most cases, the guy has gotten cut for a reason. It, very few t- times are you going to have a guy who gets cut tomorrow by 4 p.m., which is the deadline to make cuts. Very few times you can have a guy who is available because he was one of the last cuts before the season begins, and he's going to be the linchpin to what your team needs. Even if it's a big-name guy, and there's plenty of big-name guys, but that's the nature of football. It's such a small um, cycle in terms of the prime of your career. Three, four, five years if you're lucky. Once you hit that five-year mark and you become expendable, then you are nothing but a big name. But it's always interesting to see what notable players will be available come tomorrow afternoon. As far as the Jets and the Giants go, but first from the Jets' perspective, we saw Rodgers. He looked like Aaron Rodgers. It was great to see him and just all of the excitement surrounding him. It felt like a Jets home game as I was watching it on television. When he comes out of the tunnel, when he comes onto the field for the first time, you don't even need to see the crowd. You could hear the crowd in the background rising to its feet. You knew when Aaron Rodgers was running onto the field. It was great. It was exactly what you would have expected. It's what this franchise has been pining for and anticipating. And it also reminds you of what this is actually going to be like. What could this be like or what will this be like in two weeks? Two weeks from tonight. Think about it. Right now, two weeks from this moment, on the 11th of September, when the Buffalo Bills are in town for Monday Night Football at 7.05, just think about the energy that's going to be inside that building. The energy that's going to be in the MetLife Stadium parking lot in the hours leading up to that game. It's going to be, some, it's going to be such a terrific opening weekend for New York football at MetLife Stadium. And it's funny because the football teams in the last couple of years have pretty much done an about-face and switched spots with the baseball teams. 
This right now, uh, as the Mets fell into last place over the weekend, the Nationals surpassing them. The Yankees have been in last place in the American American League East for quite some time. It's the latest into a season that the Yankees and Mets collectively have ever been in last place. I mean, you could count on probably both hands the amount of times the Yankees have been in last place this late in the season themselves in their history. And now you add to that the Mets are also in last place. And then, of course, you add to that the fact that they were both playoff teams last year. They combined to win 200 games last year. And there were all of these expectations at the beginning of this season, the two highest payrolls in Major League Baseball, although the Mets even kind of lapped the Yankees in that category, but the Mets number one, the Yankees number two. And to see where the baseball season is right now is just mind-blowing. And it's like a gift from the gods, the sports gods in this town, because it wasn't too long ago that the Jets and the Giants were, for like a five-year period, not like a five-year period, for a five-year period, the Jets and the Giants were what the Yankees and the Mets are right now. They were both last-place teams, and they were among, they were actually the two worst teams in the National Football League over a five-year period. And just like that, we have all of this excitement, obviously for the Jets. They've been the big story. They've got the big star, and they have more at stake. They have the longer playoff list drought, the longest one in the NFL, in fact. There's so much. I think it's the professional sports now, right? Uh, Joe with, yeah, Sacramento made the playoffs. Seattle made the playoffs last year. So there you go. Longest playoff drought in professional sports. So, yeah, I mean, there's more at stake for the Jets, and they're the bigger story right now. But in any other year, the Giants would be a terrific story and something that everybody is getting excited about. And, by the way, Giants fans are getting excited about their team. Uh, but they're kind of lying in the weeds. And you know, I've said this a couple of times on recent shows, the narrative that has become a you know, cute catchphrase that people think they're smart when they say, oh, I could see the Giants being better but having a worse record. I, I think that's the very definition of sitting on the fence. Like, do you think they're going to be better or do you think they're going to have a worse record? Because you're saying two things in one sentence. I think the Giants are going to be better. I'm on the record of saying that. I think the biggest reason they're going to be better is their quarterback is going to be better. But let's start by talking about the Jets and the excitement surrounding them. But just collectively for the two teams, the amount of excitement that is being drummed up from football fans here in New York. And once we get past Labor Day, look, like I said, this is the final week of the quote-unquote summer. Labor Day weekend coming up next Tuesday. You know, schools pretty much everywhere throughout the New York tri-state area begin. Uh, life resumes, you know, its normal routines, and it will be a game week. you got an NFL game next Thursday, the season opener against uh, between the Chiefs and the Lions. Fantasy football drafts are coming up. You'll set your lineups uh, this time next week. You'll be tweaking your lineup and on the free agent wire. And then away you go. Week one, Sunday night, Giants-Cowboys. Following night, same stadium, Jets and Bills. It's just going to be an incredible start to the season. And get used to that as well. And Knicks fans are starting to deal with this also. Um, when your team gets good and they are a New York team, there's going to be a lot of primetime games. A lot of primetime games. I was looking at the Knicks schedule. The Knicks in recent years have played maybe five Thursday night games the entire season. Thursday night, of course, is the TNT night. That's the biggest night during the week of the NBA regular season. Go look at the Knicks schedule. I think once the calendar turns to January, 
The Knicks play every single Thursday night. Now, are they the best team? No, but they're a good team, and they play in New York. Jets are a good team. They play in New York. Giants are a good team. They play in New York. It's been so long since we've had that because, yes, the Jets and Giants, we know, play in New York, New Jersey, but they haven't been good in so long. And last year caught everybody off guard because nobody expected either team to do what they did. And you have to remember this about the Jets. The Jets' season ended so crummy. The six-game losing streak, the awful press conference by Zach Wilson after the New England game, uh, the Mike White experience having his one annual terrific game, then getting hurt, then coming crashing down to earth, the season cratering with that Jacksonville performance in the rain on Thursday night. But if you only look at how it ended the last six weeks, of course, of course it's going to leave a sour taste in your mouth. But you have to look at the Jets as far as what they did for the first 12 weeks, the first 11 games when they were 7-4. and four, And they had wins over the Packers. They had wins um, over the Dolphins and their third-string quarterback. They had wins over the Bills at MetLife Stadium. That crazy come-from-behind win over the Browns. The come-from-behind win over the Steelers. All on the backs of their defense, some intriguing young pieces, and that's the team that you have to get excited about. And that came out of nowhere last year, as did the Giants season, which was built largely on the uh, shoulders of their superior head coach and the job that he did year number one. But as far as the Jets go, what you saw from Rodgers on Saturday night, you saw the excitement. That's first and foremost. You saw he gelled instantly with Garrett Wilson. First completion to Wilson. First touchdown pass, just an absolutely beautiful throw to Wilson. The the kind of throw that Jets fans are not used to seeing somebody on their team make. I mean, that's an unrecognizable throw if it came from anybody who played quarterback for the Jets over the last 20 years. Just an incredible throw. And then, of course, like I said, the news today, Bam Knight cut, which I think made the most sense. Look, you got in that running back room, you're looking for a solid four, and you had five guys. You have the two studs, who we hope are both. Well, Cook should be available for week one. We hope Brees Hall is available to at least contribute week one. But that's a really good place to start. You have Michael Carter still in the mix, the fourth-round pick in 2021. He's 24 years old still. And then you have Izzy Abanaconda, the fifth-round pick this year, who's only 20 years old and is a little banged up right now, having suffered the bruised thigh in the Saturday night game a couple weeks ago against Tampa Bay. But the, the last two games, they, they gave Knight a shot, by the way. I mean, the last two games, he was their primary ball carrier, and he didn't distinguish himself. And that's where these preseason games are so important. You know, I bet you most people made sure that they were locked into that game at 6 o'clock on Saturday because you wanted to see Rodgers play, and you knew he'd be done by, like, 6.45, which he was. He played two series. First series, he looked okay, wasn't protected all that well. I think there were some nerves across the board, and there were some Giants defensive players looking to prove themselves. And in the second drive, they were aided by a penalty, but he looked good. He looked mobile, and the touchdown pass was a, a great cherry on top of everything. But they were also, after that, what is there to watch for? Well, that's what there is to watch for. A guy like, who's going to be your fourth running back? Which, by the way, who knew Bam Knight was going to have such a... Bam Knight, remember, was the primary ball carrier in important games for the Jets last season. 
and that was when they were still seven and four, seven and five. They were still in the playoff hunt, and he was your primary ball carrier. So that's where those games become important. The last couple of weeks, they tried to give him the opportunity, and he didn't really distinguish himself. And then the other big thing that has come out of this preseason camp, especially the last couple of weeks, it seems like, and and you know, I'm cautiously optimistic about this, but it seems like the offensive line is set. I mean, the, the offensive line is set. It seems like it's as long as Dwayne Brown can get back and be a competent left tackle, it seems like the Jets' offensive line is in a pretty good place. And good for Makai Becton. He earned that job. Because think about where we were two weeks ago. It was not looking good for Makai Becton. He was, if in conversations with guys like Rich Samini, uh, Connor Rogers, guys who cover the Jets on a daily basis, the question was always from me, all right, who's in the mix? Who's got the leg up on the starting offensive line positions? Now, you knew Brown was going to be the left tackle if healthy. You knew Tomlinson uh, and Vera Tucker were going to be the two guards if healthy. You assumed Vera Tucker was going to be one of the guards if healthy. You knew he was going to be on the line somewhere. So then that really left open the center position and the right guard position. And in listing names, the Max Mitchells of the world, um, Mekhi Becton's name was seventh, eighth on that list. He was not ever, ever among the top five names listed which would have been just an incredible fall for the 11th overall pick in 2020. But they, because he was the 11th overall pick, they made sure to give him an opportunity to win the job, and he won the job. He played well against Tampa Bay on Saturday night. He was out there with the starters, protecting Aaron Rodgers, and he'll be the starting right tackle in week one. It'll be his first game, his first NFL game, in nearly two full calendar years. He's played one game since his rookie year. It was the game that was also Zach Wilson's first NFL game on September 12, 2021. He was injured in that game. He was lost for the rest of the season. And then, he, of course, he was lost and injured for the entire season last year before the season actually got started. So all the excitement surrounding the Jets, and uh, it's just kind of housekeeping now. Rodgers came through his one and only preseason appearance. The offensive line. Seems to be set, seems to be in a good place. One of the other big questions was who was going to be the odd man out in the running backs room. We now have an answer there. It's Bam Knight, which also would indicate that, because he's going to get picked up. I'd be very surprised if he doesn't. What you read is that the Jets have already fielded calls on him. It sounds like once he clears waivers, another team's going to pick him up. Um, but that would indicate to me that they're comfortable with the health of both Dalvin Cook and Brees Hall because they just let some of their running back depth go before the start of the season. So it's exciting times as we look forward to that. Um, what does it mean for the Jets in terms of expectations? What would be a disappointing season? Those are all the questions that we're going to ask ourselves for the next couple of weeks. And then in the days leading up to that season opener on Monday night, all the excitement about that season opener, and away we go. So we got plenty to cover tonight. Uh, the Giants as well. Uh, I'm going to have some NBA thoughts. The um, Yankees and the uh, Tigers are scoreless in the top of the third inning as Aaron Judge has, <clears throat> excuse me, just struck out in the top of the third inning. So anything on your mind at 1-800-919-3776. Pat, I'll keep with you on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe 
on 98.7 ESPN. Felt like that first drive was going to go score two. Obviously, we got set back on that personal foul, but just the way he works at the line of scrimmage, Garrett, a special football player, obviously he trusts him. It's a start. You know, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean much. We just got to continue working, continue to play football together and see where it goes. That was Jets head coach Robert Sala Saturday night on Aaron Rodgers' debut. I do think it's telling. It's not coincidental that the first pass went to Garrett Wilson, that the touchdown pass went to Garrett Wilson. There's a level of trust there. And Rodgers is not that there's a question about who his guy is going to be, but Rodgers wants there to be no question that there's that trust level with Garrett Wilson, that there was at a point in time with Devontae Adams, with Randall Cobb, with Alan Lazard. Now, in the case of Cobb and Lazard, those players aren't as talented as Garrett Wilson is. Devontae Adams obviously is. He's a brilliant wide receiver. So I don't think it was coincidental at all. I don't think anything is coincidental with Aaron Rodgers. And um, the excitement, again, in that in that building when he came out of the tunnel first and foremost, but then when he came onto the field for the first time was was something. Rich Samini, our ESPN Jets reporter, was Rodgers' debut a success? I'd have to say yes, because he walked off the field without an injury. So that was basically the Jets' objective tonight, was to get him, have him break a sweat, get a few reps, and get him out of here without getting hurt. That's what happened. He played two series, a total of nine snaps. You know, everyone saw the touchdown pass to Garrett Wilson. So it was a successful night for Aaron Rodgers, for sure. And here's Aaron Rodgers on making his Jets' debut. Yeah, I had some butterflies for sure. I think that's that's always normal. First time I strap it on, it's it's kind of the, the standard. Whether I'm in year one playing San Diego Chargers or year 19 preseason number four, there's there's always uh, some butterflies when you step out there for the first time. But uh, I loosened up pretty good when I got the ovation when I took the field. That was a special moment uh, just to you know have that kind of support taking the field for that TV timeout. Uh, that was pretty special. And I was just thinking furthermore about the place of New York football right now as we begin this season. And hearing that update at the top of the hour, the Kansas City Chiefs and Chris Jones are still at a stalemate re, uh, re- regarding his contract. And, you know, his status for the beginning of the season and beyond is is still unknown. It's nice. And look, the Giants and the Jets, that's part of the business. You go through those negotiations and those holdouts and those potential holdouts. And God knows the Giants did in the month of July, right before training camp with Saquon Barkley, before that was resolved to the Giants' satisfaction, especially right before training camp began. The Jets had the potential to go through that with Quinn and Williams, but both teams, they got everybody in they need to get in. There's no drama. There's no holdouts. There's no discord right now. Now, there's always going to be something during the course of a season, but it's just not, it's nice not to have that extra added distraction. And the other thing I'll say is this, and Joe, answer me this question. Joe Leo, Julian Kushnick producing. Has Hard Knocks been a distraction? Have you noticed that it's been a distraction to the Jets? It doesn't seem like it. It, Maybe that's just because it's more of a Rogers infomercial at this point, but to this point, it doesn't seem like it's been a distraction. Maybe it will be when they inevitably face some adversity this year, but Rodgers has been a saint, and Hard Knocks, it seems like the cameras are barely there for some of the guys' reaction for the show. Well, it's funny because I remember the first time the Jets were on Hard Knocks in 2010 when they were coming off of Rex's first season, and that was one of the best, if not the best, Hard Knocks season ever. And the Jets opened up on... 
Monday Night Football that year. And I can't remember who they played. I'm pretty sure that they lost. And John Gruden was calling the game, probably with Mike Tirico at that point on ESPN. And Gruden was just laying into the Jets, but he was trying to be clever about it the entire game. Basically saying the Jets, after one year and one trip to the AFC Championship game, the Jets, in Gruden's opinion, had gotten too big for their britches. And every time there was a tackle, every time a Jet got hit, every time a Jet got knocked down, Gruden would be like, oh, that was a hard knock. Oh, there's a hard knock right there. And that was kind of the feeling. I think Gruden was speaking for a lot of people that the Jets had gotten a little too big for their britches at that point. Now, they backed it up. They went 11-5 and that year, and they went back to the AFC Championship game. They beat Peyton Manning in the playoffs that year, and they beat Tom Brady in the playoffs in Foxborough that year. So they, that team backed it up, but it was a little rocky at the beginning, especially that opener. But I think people think back to that. But the other, there, there's differences. First of all, this Jets team compared to that Jets team, and I know the Jets have a 39-year-old quarterback, this Jets team much, much, much younger. They're just kind of scratching the surface of what they could be as um, NFL players. So they're, the other thing is they didn't go to the playoffs last year. They didn't go to the AFC Championship game. They didn't go to the playoffs. They didn't even have a winning record last year. And that was a uh, thank you, guys. That was a 10-9 loss to Baltimore to open the season. Yeah, it was an ugly game. And, yeah, if they were playing the Ravens, then you would imagine there were a lot of hard knocks. So I think people still have that in, in their minds. The Jets this year, I, I don't see the cameras having been a distraction at all. Now, the production of the show is so much more benign anyway. There's so much they don't show that they used to show in seasons past. You don't ever see guys getting cut anymore. You saw Tannenbaum and, and Rex, and Tannenbaum was so awkward when he was coming. That's a tough spot. But when he was cutting people, um, which was his job as the Jets general manager, it was always just it, it always came off as like very cold to me. But then again, there's no easy or graceful way to do that. You're essentially, in many cases, ending somebody's career with what you're about to say to them. But you saw that all the time. You haven't seen that at all here. I don't even think we've seen Joe Douglas. Have we seen Joe Douglas? No, not yet. He has not appeared. Like not even like a shot of him. Never mind an interview. I don't think we've seen a shot of Joe Douglas. And he hasn't even appeared on One Jet's Drive yet either. So, well, and he I've, has, but in like flashbacks of like draft that, of previous drafts. But right. he hasn't had a sit down interview for either Hard Knocks or One, one Jet's Drive this year. I didn't realize this. I heard Dan Grasso with Don earlier that Joe Douglas was the Turk in the first ever episode of Hard Knocks in 2001. With the Baltimore Ravens, he it was his job to knock on the door of guys who were getting cut and say, "Coach wants to see you bring your playbook." So, Joe Douglas was more prominently featured 22 years ago in Hard Knocks than he is so far now as the general manager of the New York Jets. All right, let's open up the phone lines. One eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. Let's start things off with Artie in Brooklyn. Artie, how you doing tonight? Hey, thanks for taking the call, man. Appreciate it. My um, pleasure. What's going on? Yeah. If I handicapped it, it's weird. Like, if I would handicap now the Jets and the Giants, I would say the Jets have a better chance to win the division, but the Giants have a better chance to make the playoffs. And I think that's just from the conference. And I think if the Giants, if the Jets play, they have the capability to win the division. But it, I wouldn't shock me 
that the Jets don't make the playoffs because they, they play in such a tough conference. And I think the Giants have an easier road. Here's the, here's the thing that gets to me, all right? Like, the Giants picked up a linebacker. Seventh-round pick, right? Yeah. Now, you're talking about Joe Douglas. Is he getting a call from Arizona and saying, look, we're, gonna, we're, we're trading this guy. What are you giving up? Or it was just like, how does that happen where we need a linebacker and yet can I get mad at Douglas for not being willing to give up more than a seventh-round pick for, for a kid that was drafted in the first round? I don't get that. Well, I don't think he's getting a call because I don't think Arizona, once they have a deal in place with the Giants, are calling all 31 other teams, all 30 other teams, and saying this is what we have. Um, yeah, I look, I, I look at it more of – I don't look at it that Douglas dropped the ball here. I look at it as another example of Joe Shane doing his due diligence as the Giants general manager. Joe Shane took over an absolute mess, and he has had to make acquisitions around the margins because of the salary cap hell that he was left to navigate by Dave Gettleman. And little by little, through moves like this, he is starting to do that. I've said this for weeks. Last year was about Brian Dayball. This year is about Joe Shane. This is going to be Joe Shane's season. That is how the Giants improve. The Joe Douglas... Um, legacy, reputation, tenure, I think that's going to be answered by the end of this year. I do. I think the Douglas thing is is confusing because he's hit on so many, so many picks that have put the Jets in the position they're in, where they were contending to be a playoff team last year, and even though they didn't quite get there, they showed enough promise to make themselves attractive to the best free agent on the market. That's because of Joe Douglas. But while doing that, it's very similar to the San Francisco thing with Trey Lance. While putting the Jets in that position, Joe Douglas whiffed historically on his biggest draft pick, which was the franchise quarterback with the number two overall pick. Just an historic whiff. Despite that, though, he's drafted so well in other areas that the Jets are not that far away. I know a lot of people want to uh, react to where the Jets are right now and the expectations. We'll get to those calls first. A quick break here on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Two weeks and about a half an hour until kickoff for the Jets and the Bills at MetLife Stadium. By the way, the Yanks are being two hit and shut out in the top of the fourth inning by a fellow by the name of Reese Olsen a 24-year-old right-handed pitcher for the Detroit Tigers who came into tonight's game with a robust 5.29 earned run average. Thank God. Thank God we've got football to talk about. 1-800-919-3776. Let's go to Ira on Staten Island. Ira, how you doing? Hey, good evening. How are you? Boy, how crazy is that? Uh, or what did you say? Two, yeah, I can't believe the season's starting in two weeks. It really makes, makes no sense. Two weeks but, from now, will you, know, will you be in your seat ready to go? You'll be inside the stadium at 738 on that Monday night? Yeah, God willing, actually, my wife and I, we get, we get in early. We try to avoid the crowd, um, you know, the, the last minute get in. So I usually get in there like, you know, 830 kickoff. I'll be in there by 7 o'clock. There you go. It's going to be electric yeah, just by like this go time. Sit, sit and relax and chill out and, you know, and then you get that mad rush, you know, everybody's coming in and right before kickoff and then you miss half the first quarter, you know, so. 
But, you know, you mentioned the hard knock stuff. And, you know, if the Jets get off to a one and three start, it's not because of hard knocks. It's because something drastically has gone wrong, whether it's coaching players or a combination or injuries. So I, I, I think they've handled hard knocks pretty well so far. I'm not sure the last two episodes. But, you know, with expectations were with the team, I, you know, I, I went into camp with this and I came out of camp feeling the same thing. I think they're an 11 to 12 win team, you know, barring any catastrophic injuries. And I think anything short of that would be a huge disappointment. What about a 10 and 7 season and a wild card berth and a playoff win? Is that a disappointment to you? Um, no. I mean, listen, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to sound stupid. Of course not. Um, but they would have to win that wall card game and get to the second round. Like if they go ten and seven and get knocked out in the first round, to me it's still a huge disappointment. They they got to make for me. Okay, I'm going to throw the numbers out the window. They have to make noise in the playoffs, which means at least get to the second round. Whether they win a division title, whether they get a wall card, whatever it might be, you got to get me to the second round and see what happens. Because this team, and and I know I already just said something about the linebackers. I think that I, I like Bonds a lot, and I, I think so today. And this guy Surratt they picked up. So I think the linebacking core is underrated. I, I think they're in really good shape. So once again, you know, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record. Let me see what the two offensive tackles give you. Let me see what the head coach gives you. And if she stay healthy, I, I think we're talking about at least second-round playoff game. I, I agree with a lot of that. Thanks for the call. And, and when you talk about the linebackers, what helps a linebacking core that could be iffy, that could be a little shaky, what helps is playing behind a dynamic defensive line and playing in front of a terrific secondary. And you have to factor that in as well. The one thing I'll say, I agree with Ira. He said that if the Jets start off 1-3, and three, it won't be because of hard knocks. I completely agree. However... I think if the Jets start out 1-3, and three, the reason to me is simple. It's because their first four games are against the Bills, at Dallas, against the Patriots, who they don't beat, and against the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, I know I say they don't beat the, the Patriots, which they don't, but they've never played the Patriots with Aaron Rodgers as their starting quarterback. So the expectations will be different. But that's a very, very difficult first four games. Two of them on primetime, the Monday nighter, and then Sunday, October 1st, against the Kansas City Chiefs. A trip to Dallas in between and a home game against New England at 1 o'clock on the 24th of September. Very difficult early season schedule. Tommy on Long Island. What's up, Tommy? How you doing, my friend? I'm good. How you doing? I'm going. I'm thinking uh, J-E-T-T-S. That's it. I think they look good you know, in the preseason game. You know, when they come out and it's Giants home game and they're yelling for Aaron Rodgers, can you imagine the first game and the home game for the Jets? Forget about it. But, you know, I have another question. They look good. We got rid of Knight. I didn't know that because we had four running backs. Yeah, four now. Yeah. Did, uh, you, who I talked to, uh, your call, screen caller, so we got rid of Knight. I didn't know that. Yeah, Knight, Knight, Knight is going to get cut or has already been cut before the rosters are trimmed tomorrow. Yeah, so, uh, it, so we're down to four. Cook, Cook, Hall, Carter, and, and the, the rookie guy. The rookie, right? Abanaconda, yes. Yeah. How was he? Health-wise? 
No, how is his injury? I think he's fine. I think he's going to be fine. They said it's about a two-week injury. It's a thigh bruise. He got, uh, if you saw the replays of it, I mean, he ran full speed into his lineman who was running full speed at him. It, it looked like it hurt a lot. He went right down like a sack of potatoes. Yeah, um, I saw that, yeah. But I, I, obviously, uh-huh. if, they, if they let Knight go, they expect Abanaconda to be okay. Well, that's great. Well, um, I think, you know, in 9-11, you know, I was there that day, and I helped so many people with all that. I got cancer from it. But I want to say it should be should have been played in New York, not in Buffalo. I know it's New York, but it, they should have scheduled that Well, Tommy, the, the Meadowlands. Tommy, the game is in the Meadowlands. No, it's not. It's in Buffalo. No, no the, opener, the opener on the 11th is home. It's a home game. Is that our own? Yes. Are you sure? I'm sure, yes. Yeah, September 11th, uh, Jets, Bills at MetLife Stadium. All right, I'll take a break <laughs> on the heels of that. Now that we clear up uh, that, um, 1-800-919-3776. Uh, more of your calls, um, and we'll get into some Giants thoughts as well on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. And it seems like for the most part, you know, the the hay is in the barn, as they say, for the Jets and, and largely for the Giants. Cut down day is tomorrow. Final 53-man rosters. Teams, of course, can make moves and make changes after the 4 p.m. deadline tomorrow. But for the most part, we're starting to understand what each team is going to look like heading into the season. The biggest question for the Jets, like I said at the beginning of the show, is shoring up that offensive line. Is it shored up? Um, I don't know. I mean, we'll know when we know. We'll know when we watch them on the field two weeks from tonight. And, and Joe, what field will that be? Uh, if memory serves me correctly, it would be MetLife Stadium. Okay. So Jets-Bills is still at MetLife Stadium. The last I checked, which was about <laughs> 10 seconds ago, Tommy, yes. Our, our friend Tommy from Long Island was a little confused about the location of that game, but it is indeed at MetLife Stadium. And uh, hence the, the first full NFL weekend is going to be an awesome weekend with back-to-back night games at MetLife Stadium. Let's go back to the phones. 1-800-919-3776. Richard in Manhattan. Richard, how are you? Uh, Pat, Pat, you know, in a weird way, but I think it's true, the Mets and the Yankees being this bad is great for New York because now all we can do is concentrate on football. And let's face it, you know, your station, the other station – Football really is what carries the freight and uh, fantasy, point spread, and all that stuff. Uh, I think it's a good thing, and especially now with Jets and Giants both having tough first-round matches if they both win. So if you come back Tuesday morning and both the Jets and Giants won, oh, are you kidding? You're going to get phone calls. Let's get the uh, playoff tickets ready. This, both teams look great from both Jet and Giant fans. I think it's great. Nobody's going to be talking about baseball, especially if the Jets and Giants both win. You know, nobody's I mean, talking I about baseball now. I mean, unfortunately, right. less that's, and less, that's less past. and less. I mean, it's really disgusting. My 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 my, my feeling with the Mets went out uh, the window with the minute they got rid of Robertson. If he was going to trade his three best pitches. Uh, if he didn't care that much for the end of the season, then why would I be interested in watching them? I had a, you have to be stupid to watch the Mets after the owner trade, trades away his three best pitches. I mean, that was ridiculous. I think the last guy to pitch seven innings for the Mets was Scherzer. 
a month ago, his last game, that Friday night before they let let him go on Sunday. That was the last time a Met pitcher went seven innings. He pitched well that game. He got the win. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I don't understand it. I never will. And uh, Robinson hasn't pitched well for Miami, but he was pitching well for the Mets. So I've never seen a team tra- trade away three best pitches like that. Now, I don't know what it is, but uh, and, and with the Yankees, Well, listen, course, we'll see. It, we'll see in a couple of years, Richard. We'll see what these prospects turn out to be. That's when you'll know. Because the Mets weren't going anywhere this year. And I know Scherzer's last start was good, and Richard, loyal caller that he is, has called a couple of times and mentioned that masterpiece that Friday night Scherzer pitching seven innings against the Nationals. And, yes, he finished on a high note performance-wise his last start in a Mets uniform. This team wasn't going anywhere. Robertson, by the way, has since been demoted. Yesterday he lost his job as the Marlins' closer as the Marlins are trying to keep pace in the National League wild card race. The Mets snapped a four-game losing streak yesterday. They're not worth talking much about. We pretty much ceased talking about the Mets in the aftermath of the trade deadline once all the dust settled on them. And the Yankees are days away from that, if not already there. The, the Mets clubhouse, though, with um, Max Scherzer back in town today, was a topic of conversation. Scherzer, in town with the Texas Rangers, won't pitch at Citi Field. He did address the media today. We'll, We'll hear from him in a little bit. But essentially, Scherzer denied that the Mets' locker room was toxic. Joe, do we have that clip of, of Scherzer being asked if the Mets' locker room was toxic? Can we hear that? No, it was not at all. We actually had a great clubhouse. We had great veterans in a clubhouse, everybody included. You know, that's definitely not the reason why we lost. We, we were tight-knit group, had a lot of fun together. You know, all this stuff with Ver and I, that, that just, Ver and I are actually on a better page now than we were when we started the season. So we're, we're much better off than we've ever been. So that, that was an anonymous quote. You never know the context of that, so I don't even want to speculate on it. Scherzer has always been an honest guy, like kind of honest to a fault. And he had loose lips after the Mets traded him to Texas sharing supposed conversations that the Mets brass had with him about the future and the direction of this franchise, that they're not going to be competitive until 2025 or 2026. That's the last thing that the Mets needed him to say after he was traded. You pretty much asked to be traded once David Robertson was traded. They traded you. They sent you to a first-place team. You're still making the highest annual salary in Major League Baseball. Just leave gracefully and go pitch for the Texas Rangers. You didn't need to share state secrets on the direction of the Mets franchise on your way out the door. You didn't. And by the way, he was as big a reason as any why this didn't work the last couple of years. He was terrific last year until the middle of September. And then he struggled down the stretch. He ran out of gas. And that is, that, that's what, that's where this thing comes full circle. All right. That's why the Mets did what they did at the trade deadline. People want to know why did the Mets do what they did at the trade deadline? Because they didn't want to put themselves in a position again to have to rely on 40-year-old aging players, in this case pitchers. And that's what happened last year. The business model was great until it wasn't. And then when Scherzer ran out of gas against Atlanta and the Mets threw away the division title, and then he was absolutely pummeled in game one of the wild card series against the Padres, and just like that, your season is over. He was at one point a Cy Young candidate last year. 
He was worth every penny. Scherzer and DeGrom. DeGrom and Scherzer just get us to the playoffs, and they'll carry us the rest of the way. It didn't happen. And then he was bad this year. He had some good moments. But a 4.01 ERA for $43 million, not good enough. So because of his underperformance and Justin Verlander's, although Verlander's underperformance, injuries were a big reason for that. But because of those two things and a host of others, we can, we've listed them all summer, if you want to rehash it again, Starling Marte, Francisco Lindor until about June, Jeff McNeil, on and on and on you go. The Mets fell out of contention, and they were faced with, well, how do we set ourselves up in the future to not have to rely on bringing in high, high, high-priced veteran talent? Well, one way is to build up your farm system. And they saw an opportunity to do just that by trading away Robertson and then Scherzer and then Justin Verlander. And as of right now, based on the projections, based on the rankings of these prospects, I think they did pretty well because the Mets will always have the opportunity to spend money. But you, it can't just be about spending money. But the weird thing is, and, and to go back to Scherzer with his being honest to a fault sometimes, is what he said about his relationship with Justin Verlander, saying that now they're more on the same page and in a better place than they were at the start of the season. Who cares? Who, ca who cares if you're on the same page now? You're sitting... At City Field, you're speaking to the New York media that covers the Mets that since you have left, there have been rumblings that you and Verlander did not see eye to eye either in Detroit earlier in your careers or now here in New York. And then that was one of the reasons why there wasn't this great harmony inside the Mets clubhouse. So now you say today... We're in a better place now than we were at the beginning of the season. Number one, who cares what kind of a place you're in with Justin Verlander now? He's on the Astros. You're on the Rangers. You're battling each other for a division title. Number two, why weren't you on the same page at the beginning of the season? Why? You were the two highest paid players on the team. You're the two most accomplished players on the team, and you're the two most important players on the team. The leaders, future Hall of Famers, former Cy Young Award winners, the guys who, the way this team was set up, were supposed to carry this team, and everybody was going to follow your lead. And you basically admitted today that even before the season started, you and Verlander couldn't find a way to get on the same page. And with the Mets clubhouse... It's what they say. There's so much smoke, there has to be fire. You know, between Francisco Lindor and Jeff McNeil, Pete Alonso and Jacob DeGrom, Scherzer and Verlander, and these are all their top players. These are all their top players who don't get along, seemingly. Look, bad chemistry on teams can be overcome. Not every team that has won a championship has gotten along. There have been teams... That didn't like each other. Shaq and Kobe won three consecutive championships together. They were that good. But even bad chemistry finally broke that team apart. It can be overcome, but bad chemistry doesn't help. It doesn't make you better. The best case scenario is that it doesn't cost you a championship. The worst case scenario is that it can destroy seasons. The Padres seem to be a victim of bad chemistry also. Padres and Mets, so many similarities. High-priced talent, 
They don't seem to be able to get along in the locker room, and they're underperforming on the field. Is that the direct cause? I don't know. But connect the dots. They're very similar in both cases. I don't know why Scherzer and Verlander couldn't be on the same page at the start of this all-important season for the New York Mets. Did Josh own? Yes. Are you sure? You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN.